0: Jesus is at a home in Bethany and a woman pours expensive oil over his head. Now this needs some cultural understanding because after all, if I had you over for dinner and I doused you in oil, you might be a little freaked out. See, back then baths were not taken every day like we do today or, you know, most of us do today. Instead, they relied on perfumes and essential oils to freshen up. So as a result, certain essential oils became extremely valuable and desired to use. The oil that this woman used in Matthew 26, which is also found in Mark and John, was contained in an alabaster jar and according to the Greek was spikenard, which means pure or unadulterated. The nard has some botanists to identify a specific type of flower in India, but it could also just simply refer to some carefully chosen roses and flowers of the Middle East that were reduced down to essential oils. John points out that she had so much of it that it cost 300 denarii, which is about a year's worth of salary. This also indicates that her family was somewhat wealthy to simply have that lying around. And it also explains the disciples reaction of shock and saying that it was wasteful. But Jesus, on the other hand, welcomes the gesture and calls it lovely. After all, she was giving him the oils needed for a proper burial, one that his executioners did not give him. And who knows, maybe she anointed him To mark him as the Messiah, which literally means the anointed one. Whatever her motivation, she sacrificed a year's salary for Jesus. So there you go. A little bit about anointing oil, and that's enough today for our historical minute. So let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together here on this summer evening where we get to dive into Mark and we get to uh, see how uh, as we enter into the passion narrative, Lord, about how you are just someone who is so sacrificial and someone who is so giving of their life. And so, Lord, we pray that you be with us tonight, you guide us, and that you um, give us uh, words of encouragement and that we can really look into this story and apply it to our lives. And all this we pray. Amen. All right. So let's turn to Mark and we're going to start in chapter 14, verse one. So if you have a Bible, turn to it. Otherwise, we'll have it on the screen. And of course, there are Bibles around you under the seatbacks backs there. Um, and as well, you can always text in questions. I have an iPad up here. And so uh, if you have any, if anything you hear, doesn 't make sense or you 're just wondering something you can always text that in and, and i 'll do my best to address it how 's that sound i 'll do my best, um, but we are going to start in uh, chapter fourteen verse one, and really this is this is going to start the whole uh, passion narrative so this is going to be the final uh, night for Jesus with his disciples in their upper room it 's going to start there and then we're going to uh, move into his arrest and his trial. And then next week we'll get into his crucifixion and all that. And so um, it's actually one of the most important sections really of all the Bible. You see, we have four gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And really for each Uh, Gospel—they all have a little bit of a different perspective. Kind of like when you go to a Diamondbacks game, and there's multiple camera angles. You know, you just kind of see little things a little bit differently. Now it's the same result, but you can kind of see things a little differently. It's a different. Perspective, And so each one of the Gospels has a different audience, so a different perspective. And as a result, sometimes, you know, one Gospel will record one event, one Gospel will record another event. And sometimes they both record the same event. But in this case, um, all of what we're going to talk about tonight, and then especially the crucifixion, the resurrection, it is so important that all four Gospel writers have it written. Uh, Because really, out of everything to know about Jesus, it's important to know this story. So... You guys showed up on a good week. Congratulations. You braved the heat for a really good, really good story here. So it begins, um, the, the title of this, the subtitle is kind of gloomy. It says, The Plot to Kill Jesus. Why in the world would they want to kill Jesus? Well, you have to remember that, you see, back then there were some groups of people that they just simply did not like Jesus. Um, If you were a Roman and you heard about how here comes this Messiah, here comes this Christ, those were words to describe a king. And remember, they thought that he was going to establish an earthly kingdom. So a lot of Romans feared Jesus because they thought that he was going to topple over, for sure, Pontius Pilate, but then uh, even, you know, make his way to Caesar and declare himself king. And so he thought that a lot of people thought it was going to be this Bloody revolution, if you will, against the Romans. So the Romans were a little skeptical of this guy. But as well, uh, the, the Jewish groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so forth, um, they really did not like Jesus because Jesus claimed to be God. And for them, that's blasphemy whenever you claim to be God. Which is true in the sense that, like today, if you were to raise your hand and say, hey guys, I'm God, we'd say, oh, that's called blasphemy. You know? So, I mean, we kind of understand a little bit of their perspective of where they're coming from. But here's the thing, is that you see these groups back then, even though they may have started off uh, several hundred years prior trying to follow God, ultimately they kind of went off the path a little bit. And Um, they had this thing called the tradition of the elders, these kind of man-made laws, and they were really focusing on those so much that their hearts moved away from God. And so really now you have these people who are into this institution, into this religion that they've created, but ultimately they really weren't seeking God very much anymore. And so so much so that, that God even sends his own son Jesus to show up, and not only do they not recognize that it's the Messiah, But now they want to crucify the Messiah. And so if we start in verse 1, it says this, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrange, or excuse me, how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And so this group of people, the... Uh, the chief priests, the scribes, you know, these these groups of uh, religious people back then, these groups of Judaism, they were seeking how they can kill him. But, but they wanted to do it kind of in a secret way because, see, they, they had feared that because so many people at this point followed Jesus and liked Jesus, they figured that if they were just to go out and they were to publicly execute him, then there's gonna be an uproar from those people. After all, it was only a few days prior to this that we have Jesus marching into Jerusalem and people are waving palm branches and they're yelling, Hosanna, which is God save us. And, and they're, they're basically coronating him as king at that point. And so really Jesus has quite the following. He's, he's quite the popular dude at this point. And so really for a lot of these this groups, they realize, well, we can't just go out and kill him because if we do, then then what? There's going to be an uproar, so they had feared that. Um, as well, they had feared because it was during a, a feast, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and Passover. And this, by the way, is important to know because uh, Passover is uh, something that Jewish people and, and really to this day, like if you, uh, especially around uh, well March, April time. Uh, hang around people who are Jewish. They will celebrate this event. They'll celebrate the Passover, and they'll have a Seder meal and everything. And what it is, it's a story that goes all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. You see, if you recall several uh, hundred years prior to this, well, 1400 years before Jesus, uh, God's people were in slavery in Egypt, and God rescued them. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And how he did that in order to get Pharaoh to basically say, okay, fine, your people can go, uh, God inflicted these series of plagues. And at first, it started off kind of small, and then each plague kind of ramped up a little bit. And the final plague, uh, and really, Pharaoh during all this time could have said, okay, your people are let go, and the plagues would have stopped. But his heart was hardened. And so here we are, where the final plague, the tenth plague, And what's going to happen is that all the firstborns in the land are going to die that night. And Moses even warns Pharaoh of this. And Pharaoh still does not listen and does not let the people go. And so what happened was um, we have this angel of death is going to pass over. Or yeah, is going to go through the land of Egypt. And if you sacrifice a lamb and then you take the lamb's blood and put it on your doorpost, as God had instructed his people then um, it would pass over that house. And so your firstborn would still live. And, And because of that, of the severity of that, even Pharaoh losing his firstborn, that's when he said, okay, fine, your people can go. And then they left Egypt, and then, of course, Pharaoh changed his mind and then pursued after them and all that kind of stuff. And then we have the parting of the Red Sea. And the story goes on for a while. There's a, whole, there's a whole movie about it. It'll take about an hour and a half to explain it. All right. Um, but, but that event, though, is called the Passover. And it's something that Jewish people, uh, well, actually, right then and there, God instructed. He said, back in uh, Exodus 13, he said, this is going to be something that you're going to celebrate. Every year you're going to remember this event. And so Jewish people, up until Jesus' day, until today, were celebrating this Passover meal. And so it's, it's Thursday night, and, um, and as a result, people came from all over to the Passover. And so they came, if, if you live kind of in that area, then you would pilgrimage down to Jerusalem. Or even if you lived really far away, you would still uh, make your way to Jerusalem for this feast. So that's the context of what's happening. And so then we go into verse 3. It says this, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So we'll stop here for just one second. So here we are. We have this guy named... um, Well, they're at this house in Bethany, which is not too far from Jerusalem. Uh, It's just right on the other side of uh, the Mount of Olives. It's, uh, you know, uh, I forget exactly how long of a walk, probably half an hour of a walk or something. It's not very far. And we go into this house of Simon the leper. And uh, being Simon the leper here, it's, uh, you know, obviously if you had leprosy back then, then you would be cast out. And you would have to live outside of the city because you have a contagious disease. It's a skin disease, right? And so um, the fact that he's called Simon the leper and it's his house indicates that he was cured of his leprosy. And while just knowing Jesus, Jesus probably cured him of his leprosy. Uh, We have stories about Jesus curing people in the Bible of leprosy. And so it's just an assumption, but of, you know, if he had leprosy and no longer has leprosy, at that time, there really wasn't a cure for it. And so for Jesus to, uh, Jesus would heal people. And as well, we have Simon the leper. So it's likely that Jesus healed him. And Jesus is there. And while he's, I love the way the ESV has this reclining at table. Like I never use that phrase, but okay, reclining at table. So they're sharing a meal together. This woman comes up Uh, Mary uh, is later identified in, uh, I think, the book of John, and she comes up with this alabaster flask of ointment, and as I talked about in the historical minute, something very costly, a year's worth of salary, um, just a a very, uh, it's a pure nard oil ointment type thing, is a, a very costly, very expensive thing. And she actually broke it so that way it would open, kind of like, you know, how some things like, are kind of like that, like a a piggy bank, for example. You almost have to break it, the top of it at least open just to to pour it. And she pours all of it over him. And so, so that's what's happening. Then in verse four, it says this, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. So, given the extreme nature of this event, it makes sense why people are going to be shocked, right? I mean, after all, if you were to take something, uh, well, the average salary in America now is like, uh, well, annual household income, I guess, is 58000 so that includes both people. But let's say it's worth $40,000 then. If you take something that's worth $40,000 and poured over someone, There should be a reaction, right? You would be a little shocked if you're in a room and you saw that. And and yeah, absolutely, they could have. They could have absolutely sold that for 300 denarii. They could have absolutely given it to the poor. They absolutely could have. Um, But here's here's Jesus' reaction. And then in verse 6, But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always will have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for for burial. I can't say that right. Burial, burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And that we'll start with that last line. Isn't that true? that we have that in the Bible. See, if they would have sold and they would have uh, given it to the poor, then we would not have had the story. And we would not have had the story about the sacrificial giving that this woman had, that she was willing to give up basically a year's salary, 300 denarii for Jesus. And, and Jesus's reaction is kind of interesting. He said, I mean, there's, you're always gonna have the poor and yeah, and go do good to them, that's fine. He's not, he's not saying don't, he's not saying don't help the poor people. But he's just saying, look, you're not going to have Jesus forever here. I mean, in the flesh like this. And for her to sacrifice it like this uh, is just such an amazing sacrifice. And he readily accepts it. He does not c- uh, condemn her. He does not say, yeah, yeah, come on. What are you doing? We could have we sold this. We could have given it away. But instead, he just welcomes it. And as well, it, it is kind of interesting because um, he was not given... Uh, a full proper burial and he was not given um, the spices and and all that that you would normally get for a burial. And so actually she's kind of giving him that uh, right here as well. Uh, By the way, in the book of John, I think it is, uh, who records this story, mentions the name of those who scolded. And it was mainly Judas Iscariot, (laughs) who is the one who betrays Jesus later. And he's also the treasurer of the group. And so uh, it is just kind of funny that uh, someone like Judas Iscariot, just imagine this for a minute, is standing there. And, and here he is, he's, he's kind of being all high and mighty about how this woman is acting. And what she's sacrificing and what she's giving to Jesus. And he's, he, he's almost making it sound like it's some sort of like altruistic, like really great thing to do. Like, man, could you imagine if we could just sell this and give it to the poor? How awesome would that be? And yet, what we know about Judas Iscariot is that his heart was already in a place where he's, he's wanting to betray Jesus. So it's amazing how some things come out of his mouth in a certain way. But really, his heart and where he was at spiritually... Was, was very much in a dark place. You know, I, I hear things as well like, so for example, we're talking about doing a, a building campaign and expanding our property here. And you know, the point of it's not just so that way we can have a cool looking building, but rather the point of it is so that way we can do ministry here. And so that way we can reach out to people in our community. And, uh, but I do hear every now and then someone will say, wait, we're doing what? Oh, that sounds like a lot of money. How about if we just raise it and then just give it to the poor? And in the back of my mind, when I hear that sometimes I say, okay, Judas. Now, I never say that to the person, okay? But, and are they wrong? No. Yes, we, we, we could do that. That'd be fine. But, but you know as well, what's, what's more important than just simply just giving, uh, you know, $700,000 to the American Red Cross or something like that, would that do great things? Absolutely. But you know as well that, that if we can do other things that's going to minister to people, that's going to not just, you know, feed them uh, with food, but to feed them spiritually. If we can do something that can proclaim Jesus in our community, then that's a good thing too. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not about a building, but it's about ministry. And, and, and that's a good thing, too. And so, again, I, I never say that to the person, but sometimes in the back of my mind, I'll kind of think that. <laughs> so, speaking of Judas, let's go into verse 10 here. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray, to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So already in his heart, he's wanting to betray Jesus. And he knows that, I mean, here's, here's, here's people that are enemies of Jesus. And so all he has to do is meet with them. And he knows that he can get some cash because these are very wealthy people. So he's going to get some uh, 30 pieces of silver here. And now he's looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So then in verse 12, and on the, f- the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. So remember, uh, back in the Passover, they would take the lamb, they would sacrifice the lamb, and then they would use the blood of the lamb to cover the doorpost. And then as well, on the original Passover, and then all the feasts celebrating that sense, you would sacrifice the lamb, and then you would also roast the lamb. So it would be a festival, it would be a feast, it would be your dinner for you. And then it says this, His disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and... they go into the city, and you know, they find this guy, and the master of the house points them to this room, this large upper room, furnished and ready, and it's prepared for Jesus and his disciples. So then in verse 17, and when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and they were, again, the ESV, they were reclining at table and eating, and Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. See, now I remember Jesus, uh, of course, is God. And he's the second member of the Trinity. We have God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so part of Jesus being God is that he um, is able to see all. And he knows our hearts. And so that's actually so much of Jesus' ministry. Whenever he's around people and they're questioning him about something, he knows knows what they're thinking. And he knows their hearts. And in this case, um, Jesus knows that... Judas is going to betray him. I mean, after all, Jesus is God. And and so he knows all the future events that are going to happen. And so he just brings it up. He says, one of you will betray me. And then in verse 19, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Wow. So saying that it's, it's one of you, the one who uh, is dipping bread into this dish with me. And then he even says that, yeah, that this is going to happen and it would be better for that person to have not been born. So he just kind of just spells it all out. Here's here's what's going to happen tonight. So then in verse 22, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, "Take this is my body." Uh, if you're if you come here regularly, you'll recognize this section here, um, and this is where Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. He's instituting the practice of communion, as we call it, where Jesus he's um, so even before he's crucified, he's, he's taking bread and he's giving it to them. And he's saying, this is my body. And, and then as well, in verse 23, and he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so here he is, he is uh, taking this uh, cup of wine. And so part of the Seder meal, part of the Passover would be that you would have um, v- uh, different cups of wine that were poured. In fact, I've, I've heard that there were as many as uh, five glasses of wine poured in, um, in a traditional Passover meal. And so um, what they are is in the book of Exodus, God gives commandments, or excuse me, not commandments, rather he gives promises to Moses. Things like, I will be with you, I will rescue you, I will free you, and I forget the other one. But he gives these promises. And so really what they do is they have this chalice, and and they pass around this chalice during the meal. And for each chalice that they pass around, they recall one of God's promises. So that's a pretty cool thing. But then also what happens is there is a fifth cup that is poured. And the fifth cup uh, represents God's wrath. And you may say to yourself, well, how does a cup of wine resemble God's wrath? Well, it does because uh, it's an Old Testament reference. All the way back to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, uses this metaphor about how God is going to pour out His wrath onto His people. Uh, referencing when the Babylonians come in and exile uh, the Israelites. But he's talking about this, this cup of wrath that God pours out. And so at a Passover meal then, they added that in there where the fifth cup would be poured that represents God's wrath, and no one drinks from it. But it's there, and it's recognized, but no one drinks from it. And so um, when, when Jesus picks up a chalice of wine and passes it around, uh, it's likely then, uh, and I forget exactly why they said this, but some commentators I read talked about how it was probably the second, or maybe it was the third cup of wine. Uh, I forget exactly why they had come to that, but but just recognizing that there were multiple cups that were passed around, and, and it was one of those that Jesus then said, this is my, this is my blood. And so uh, he's commanding them to eat of the bread, and he's commanding them to to drink of the wine. And then as well, in another gospel, he says he wants us to do this now in remembrance of him. And, and so really, whenever we come together for, for what is Passover, or we now celebrate it with communion, and, and Jesus says, do this as often as you drink of it. So he's commanding that we that we partake of this communion meal very regularly. So it's not an annual thing, but rather it's a, as often as you come together. And so for us, that's weekly. And that's why we do communion every week here. Um, but but here's what, here's what it is also, is that Jesus is saying, do this in remembrance of me. And so it is his body. It is his blood. But we're now going to remember Jesus whenever we partake of this meal. That we're not going to remember Moses, or we're not going to remember the Exodus. Like, Yes, you can remember Moses in the Exodus. That's a fine thing to remember throughout the day or through your life. But, but really, whenever we come together for communion, it's, it's for the purpose of remembrance of Jesus and what He does for us on the cross. Uh, not remembering, pointing back to the Exodus, but rather it's pointing to the cross here. So we have a couple questions. So let's, this is a good time as any to pause, and we'll read these questions. So why would Jesus be telling one of them, would be telling them one of them would betray him why not just let just just let judas do it on his own hey that's a really good question you know and for sure for a question like this it, it's just going to come down to speculation like i'm not exactly sure why but i think that there's a um, uh, a few things that that would be important so so jesus not only does he foretell Um, Judas Iscariot's betrayal, but he also foretells Peter's denial. That Peter's, even though that Peter is not going to necessarily go to the Pharisees or the chief priests and the scribes and turn Jesus in for some money, but rather people are going to point at Peter and say, hey, you, aren't aren't you with him? And Peter is going to deny him, not once, but three times that evening. And so Jesus actually predicts it. And, and I, I think that the reason why uh, Jesus does this is a couple reasons. One is that, you see, remember the gospels were written afterwards. And, and so it's not like they were necessarily writing down notes at that time, but it was afterwards. And I, and I guarantee the disciples were remembering, saying, you know, Jesus, he even predicted what, Ju- what Judas did. And it just shows basically Jesus's divinity about how he's God and how he can see all and how he knows all. Um, and uh, as well, I think it also shows that for Judas, see Judas up until this point has just simply met with them, but he has not really betrayed Jesus yet. And, and so he's, he's kind of in the works of betraying Jesus, but it really hasn't come to its full fruition yet. And so really Judas could have turned back at this point. I mean, the, the thought of, oh my gosh, Jesus knows what I've done. I mean, should motivate most of us, right, to turn back. And yet, and yet Judas did not. Judas, even after being foretold this, still went and did what he did. And I think it just shows really the, the power that sin can have on our lives. Where sin had consumed Judas so much that even whenever he was called out by Jesus that he still went and pursued it. And so I guess that's out of speculation, but those are a couple of my thoughts. Then we have this as well in Mark 14:25, they talk about the fruit of the vine. Are they talking about how they the Roman soldier gave him wine when he was on the cross or when he comes back to earth? Well, 14.25. Oh, okay. So yeah, it says this. Truly I say to you, yeah, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so yeah, so so you're exactly right that um, for Jesus, what he's referencing here, at least to my understanding, is that he's, he's talking about the fruit of the vine, so that's wine, that he's not going to drink of it after this point um, until he drinks it new in the kingdom of God. And so, um, yeah, so on the cross, he did refuse. Uh, they had some sort of kind of wine, kind of a vinegar mixture type thing um, that they would use to help kind of numb the pain a little bit, I guess. And Jesus refused that. And so, so yeah, he actually um, even says that this is going to be his last um, drink of wine until, basically, yeah, until he comes back to earth, until uh, the end times or until the new kingdom is established. And uh, I think as well for, for Jesus that, um, uh, so actually from this point, so this is Thursday night. Uh, so he's arrested and he's thrown basically in this like dungeon place. My parents visited it in Israel. And uh, there's like a small hole in the ceiling. And he was like lowered in is, is where they believe that he was uh, kept. And I guarantee you that there was not, in that little dungeon area, there was not like a buffet spread, okay? Um, Or like a nice, you know, water cooler or anything like that. Um, And so, and then actually then he woke up on Friday and then he was put on trial with Pontius Pilate and then he was beaten and mocked in the crucifixion. And so actually what's kind of interesting about Jesus is one of the things that he says on the cross, he says seven things, but one of the things that he says is he says, I thirst. And uh, what's what's kind of interesting about that is is that um, Jesus um, is, is thirsty, and he, he cries that out. And it's interesting because he probably didn't have anything to eat or drink, even like with water or something like that, um, all the way back until Thursday night, up until this last meal here. And so he went, you know, however many hours that is, Uh, without any kind of food or water. And so that's one of the reasons he says that. Then it says this in 1421, he said it would have been better if the betrayer had not been born. Since we needed Jesus to die in our place, didn't we also need Judas? Is Judas a symbol of our sin as we betray him when we sin? Okay, yeah, so this is a pretty pretty interesting question here. Since, um, yeah, better if the betrayer had not been born, but since we needed Jesus to die in our place, we needed Judas also. Yeah, so, so I mean, basically with, with Judas is that um, even though that it was not God's will, it was also something that God used. And what I, mean by, what I mean by that is that God never intends for us to sin. But He takes our sin, and since He's got a plan for it, he can take our sin and he can work it into his puzzle that he has created, into his plan that is going to work uh, all things for the good of those who love him, according to Romans 8:28. And so, yeah, so, so God, um, knowing that Judas was going to do this, ended up using it to, um, to put Jesus on the cross, which then Jesus on the cross forgives our sins. And so, so, yeah, you're right. In, in some ways, it's almost like we do need a Judas. We do need someone to betray Jesus, to put him on the cross, but also understand that it wasn't God's will. And what I mean by that is there were these uh, Gnostic Gospels that were circulating in like the 300s AD, and they were written in the 300s ADs. All the rest of the Gospels were written shortly after, right after in the first century. But these Gnostic Gospels, these fake Gospels surfaced, and so, for example, um, there was one that was called the Gospel of Judas. Now, it was not written by Judas. Uh, they just simply put his name. It's kind of like today if you were to uh, say, Hey, look, I found this manuscript from Abraham Lincoln. See, it's got his name on it, so he clearly wrote it. <laughs> you know, And you would say... Yeah, but you could have forged that. No, no, I didn't forge it. Yeah, that's what people did back then. And so we have this Gospel of Judas. And in the Gospel of Judas, uh, we actually have uh, Jesus asking Judas to betray him. And, uh, and, and, it's, and it's just absurd because for them, that's how they wanted. They wanted basically to paint Jesus as the bad guy because that's what they wanted to do back then. And people want to do that today too, uh, to villainize Jesus. And so, so they actually had Jesus kind of arranging this whole thing. And that's absurd. You see, it was not God's will, but God used it in such a way that uh, worked in this plan. And so yes, it was, and really that, that was it because uh, Jesus needed to have been executed because um, he really, he had a perfect body and his body would have never died. And so it needed something that on its own would not have died. And so it needed an execution uh, of some sort, something external to come in to actually kill Jesus. And, and so that's what we have here. And this last thing here is Judas, a symbol of our sin as we betray him when we sin. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's part of the Gospels or any part of the Bible is that you can read yourself into it a little bit. You know, you can uh, certainly, uh, you know, and that's the thing. It's easy to look at Judas and say, oh, Judas, oh, he's the worst. All right. But it's also, if we read ourselves into the text a little bit, we can say, you know what? Yeah, there's times that, that I've, that I betrayed Jesus too. Now not exactly the same way. Like I don't think I've really met with people and I for sure was not given 30 pieces of silver, okay? But we can all recognize that there's times in our life where we've where we betrayed Jesus or like Peter where Peter publicly denies Jesus. I can tell you there's not proud of it, but there's been times in my life when I've denied being a Christian. And and so yeah, I think that, you know, we can we can understand uh, why they did what they did whenever we start to kind of read ourselves into it a little bit. But again, though, what we're reminded here is that that even, uh, you know, with people like Judas or Peter and then for sure ourselves as we sin, that if we flip over to this next page here in um, chapter 15 and then verse 21, we read about the crucifixion. And the crucifixion is where Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. And it's one of the big, it's, Not one of the biggest event in history, where Jesus uh, pays our price for our sins, and so, um, and so really we got to come back next week (laughs) because we're just simply out of time. But we got to get into the denial, and then of course the crucifixion. Uh, It's going to be it's going to be a very important topic next week. So uh, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for uh, bringing us together here as we discuss. Mark 14, we discuss uh, the Passover meal, and we discuss how uh, even then he was um, already predicting his, his betrayal and how he instituted the Lord's Supper, and how we also have this woman who went all out and gave uh, very sacrificially to, to Jesus with the oil. And so, Lord, we just pray that, um, that we can take these things about sacrificing for Jesus, and we can take these things about denial and, and, uh, and betrayal, oh Lord. And we pray that we can um, apply them to our lives. And, and Lord, that we can uh, uh, stand up for you, and we can overcome temptation and not betray you, and, metaphorically speaking. And so we pray all this in your name. Amen.